back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 161, and I'm joined on the line once again by Sneaky Pete to chat all things Magic the Gathering. How are you tonight, Pete? Hey, it's good to be back. This is our second episode after the new year, and boy, is I think this is going to be a good one. Again, we are on thelotuscouncil.com, and we also are on some Discord servers. We have email, we have smoke signals, we got the whole thing. We've got all of the social media platforms I've heard. Hypothetically, we have um, some other places we're looking into to expand our reach. So uh, anyway, if you'd like to get a hold of us, we'll be in the show notes. Bruce, what are we doing tonight? All right, let's start with some garbage or great. And as, as is par for the course, I am prone to go finding new cards, and Pete goes and finds not new cards. So tonight's card for me is a card that I've seen played in um, a number of different formats, uh, mostly on Arena. And I wondered about this card because I, it seems like it could be powerful, but I am unsure if it how much clout it actually has. It's called the Enigma Jewel. And so it's a single blue for a legendary ar- artifact. The Enigma Jewel enters the battlefield tap. And you can tap it to add two colorless mana, spend this mana only to activate abilities. And then you can craft it with four or more non-lands with activated abilities and pay eight and a blue. And then when it flips over for its crafted ability, you get Locus of Enlightenment. Locus of Enlightenment has each activated ability of the exiled cards used to craft it. You may activate each of those abilities only once each turn. Whenever you activate an ability that isn't a mana ability, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Now, Pete, I saw this one played in a brawl game. It was a uh, historic brawl. Yeah. And my opponent was able to exile a bunch of planeswalkers with it. So it picked up a bunch of planeswalker abilities, which seemed kind of cute. Um, so it got me, and then it proceeded to house me and make, make me just cry. But sure. so it got me thinking, I'm like, is this card even worth looking at for commander and so i went and did some cursory digging and some thinking like where would i play this what would i do and i don't know so what what are your thoughts is this card garbage or is this thing great i'm looking on edh rec really just to see a general idea and this is what i was uh anticipating it's a lot of artifact matters uh Cards or creatures with a lot of interesting, like Kenrith. Like if you exile Kenrith with it, you put him back in the command zone, but then that card still gets all of those abilities. So I feel like if you're going to go and use the card, you're going to go all the way um, and go to the most extreme depths of, of its ability or the most consistent. So like Emery is an obvious choice because Emery just does this anyway. And, um, Kenrith is a pretty like easy choice too because of how many abilities it has and how many things you can do with the card like flexibility wise. I think if you can expand the flexibility of this card instead of narrowing your scope of focus um, like if you're exiling a bunch of uh, mana dorks for example it's not going to do anything if you're exiling no. a bunch of planeswalkers that do a bunch of random things they don't really synergize together it also doesn't really make sense to me. I feel like this is a fail safe card if you are backed up against a wall and the game's gone long enough that you want to do something interesting but this requires so much um so much sort of to keep it alive and to allow it because if you flip it and it comes back 
and they blow it up with like an abrade or something. It must feel terrible because you can't get those yeah. cards back either. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not very efficient. I, this is what I thought. I was thinking to myself, like I, like I, the game I was playing with against it on Historic Brawl, I had forgotten even what I was playing, what deck I was playing. I think I was playing my Goreon deck, so I'm not playing a particularly aggressive build. Sure. And so the game, the game kind of stalled out, and in the game where it stalled out one v one, this card eventually was able to be a great way for him to sink a bunch of resources that he'd either milled or I had killed into his graveyard, and then right. turn it and flip it into this powerful tool to uh, destabilize the board and in gain more advantage than I could gain through my creatures. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, like it, in one in a one v one setting where you can prolong the game and stall it out, it kind of makes sense. Right. And I, But I think in the multiplayer format of Commander, it really doesn't, because your life total ends up being under way more pressure. So you never really get an opportunity to deploy this thing and sink nine mana into it and, and craft a bunch of other stuff into it. Like, you sink a ton of resources into it, and then, like you say, to have it blown up by an abrade or or a nature's claim or of even just a vandal blast. Vandal blast pointed like as a, it's like this is, becomes incidental collateral damage. Mm -hmm. So, like I think this card, as much as it's got a really cool, interesting ability, and I I think like I'm kind of glad they made the card because it makes you think like, is this yeah. card actually? It's it is it could be hugely powerful, but I think there's a lot of hoops, a lot of uh risk associated with it that you'd have to be able to set this up in such a way that you're going to be guaranteed to get ridiculous value off of it in order to make me interested in this and i don't think you can actually guarantee that in a format like commander where there's so much variance in your in a hundred card deck so i'm personally going to come to the, down to the conclusion that there's just too much committed to this particular card for me to be particularly excited for it and interested in putting it in my decks. Um, I'm waiting for someone to prove me wrong. And yeah, like all these cards we mentioned, right? Yeah. yeah. Like there's some like where I'm pretty okay with, with trying them out. This one, I'm not prepared to try out. I think this card is a bust. It's something you do not want to do um, unless you're particularly ambitious and, Consequently, I'm out. I, I think this is garbage, and I don't really want to try it. Um, maybe, maybe someone else out there is gonna has will will show me a build where this is super potent and does a lot of really good things. But I, like, I just don't think I can do it. I mean, the card is neat, but I don't think it's, uh, it's yeah. good enough for most commander most commander metas. This reminds me of like my boy, uh, one of the cards we mentioned a while ago when we did our nicknames episode. I forget which episode that mm. was. but that was, that was a long time ago now. There's um that mirror creature that has imprint, and you get to exile things from your graveyard, and it gets the activated abilities of those cards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a one-card potential combo. If you got the right cards in your yard with um, the uh, three-mana untap, tap, uh, well, I forget what it's called right now off the top of my head, the um, combo piece. You know I'm talking about? It has like five different things that you can do with it. Oh, the staff of uh, staff of staff domination. domination. Yeah, so like you would exile that, and you would exile like basalt monolith or something else to untap it, and then you would go infinite. This is what this card would do: is you try to go infinite with it, and you try to win the game on the spot. But yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't play this unless um, I really wanted to just try it out and see if it would run. But I'm not about to rebuild my mono blue emery list anyway, so uh, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. Um, 
CDH, nope. they might find a way to use it, but I don't think this is the place I, for that. I don't think CDH players are going to touch this with a 10 I don't think so either. <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately, so it maybe it gets result, re, re, resolves itself to the stuck on the, um, yeah. the historic brawl decks somewhere in 1v1 formats where you can draw things out. So, yes. otherwise, I think it's probably a no go. So, All the right, next card. What have you found tonight? This card, people were freaking out about when it got spoiled. I remember um, in uh, Dominar United because it was a it was a three mana four card tutor, similar to the one that's banned in our format. Um, it's threats undetected, yeah. two colorless and a green sorcery. Search your library for up to four creature cards with different powers and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of them. Shuffle the chosen cards into your library and put the rest into your hand. So, I want to hear what you have to say, and I'm probably going to disagree with you. So, let's hear it. So, A, I think the card is fun because it's, it's a throwback to uh, Gifts Ungiven. Yes. And the, and, the, and the art on the card is even reminiscent of the female figure on Gifts Ungiven. So, they did a really good job of the, the, like the overt callback to an older card. Mm -hmm. That is crazy powerful. So search a library for up to four creature cards uh, with different powers. So different powers is pretty easy to... So your one drop can be a dork. Your two drop can be something value-ish. Your three creature can be something else. You can put like a, something scary in your hand uh, or something scary as a five or six drop, whatever. So I don't. I think that the, the actual threshold to make this that could be really just a two for one is pretty good. Now, the way the dilemma here is that if you go and pick one card that is very powerful and three medium powerful cards, you're going to get stuck with the two worst cards in every situation. Um, however, I don't think necessarily that that is a bad way of doing it. Because at its raw core, this is a three mana tutor where you're going to be guaranteed a two for one out of it. You're getting two bodies that you can put on the uh, put on the field, and if you can if you can find the, you know the tools you want, like maybe you really want that mana dork and that value creature, but your opponent looks at it and says you're putting a Vornclex and you're putting a Crater Hoof in your hand. Like no thanks, I don't want you to have those tools, particularly if you're in anything close to casting them. No thank you. Um, Little do they know in your hand you have hordes of like hordes uh triumph of the hordes or something disgusting in your <laughs> hand. Right. So I'm actually pretty okay with this. I'm not jumping up and down like going crazy for the card. I think the card has got some really interesting appeal, but if you look at it as just if nothing else as being three mana, get two creatures that are going to be guaranteed to be in your hand, and you can then craft the scenario where you can and almost force your opponent into giving you the ones you want by virtue of picking things that they really do not wish to play against. So, you know, if you, again, if you're looking to find the crater hoof with this, you're probably not going to get that opportunity unless you have three more egregious creatures in your deck, which you probably don't have. So, but if you, yeah, Go ahead. Here Go are my ahead. three. Here are my three scenarios. Okay, to make this card work very well for mm -hmm. you. Okay. The first, I just I was goldfish in the Xenagos deck again because I'm like I'm gonna try this out, see if it works. Mm -hmm. 
First scenario was I'm short on mana dorks, so I pulled out uh, the Ilzen Carotid, the 1-1 one, one that taps for potentially two. Mm-hmm. Lotus Cobra. Yeah. Um, like a another dork that's like a 3-4 th- that gives you the initiative. Right. And then I pulled out something else that um, like tapped for mana, like a Birds of Paradise. Yeah, yeah. So like, if you're picking like, and all those all those options, you're you're getting what you want out of out of that targeted use of the spell. And in that context, I have no problem with the spell, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think Xenagos would be a great sort of deck to put this in, where you're going to have a lot of powerful threats, and if you put four roughly <laughs> equally terrifying threats on this on like available for your opponents to pick from they have to pick which two monsters they want to fight against yep and so yeah so i'm pretty like i'm pretty okay with that i think there is a way to construct this use this card in a way that's going to be um interesting and and uh rather unique in terms of its effect and i know originally it got panned pretty hard like i like this card disappeared and like it's there is a reason it's 58 cents like this is not a card that people want to play, right? But I think it actually has a lot of merit. But you just—it's just not going to be the tutor that's going to go find you, the creator of Behemoth. Yeah, of it's not a—it's t- not a tooth and nail by any stretch. No. But the other two scenarios, real quick, and then we'll move on. That I discovered just from messing around with the deck a little bit more. You do the two-card combo nobody knows about, and you. Get your two most threatening creatures. So it's a rattlesnake. So they put back those Italis or those other, um, like, you know, the Elder Gargaross. And you get the combo in your hand that you need to do some really interesting things in your deck. And then finally, elves. Like, elves would be good. And um, targeted removal that are creatures that have redundancy that say destroy target artifact or enchantment. Um, like a Rex Sage. Um, yeah. uh, a Manglehorn. You know, like you take four of those, and then they pick, they give you two of them politically to help the table. That also would be a benefit for you if you're doing yeah, it that way. Yeah. And then elves, of course, if you have enough consistency in what you're trying to do with like your Marwyn deck or your, you know, your elf uh, Golgari or elf ball deck or something, mm-hmm. then it doesn't seem as as like uh, detrimental. Especially if you're like, hey, if you give me these two creatures, I won't swing at you this turn. Or if you give yeah. me one and one, then I can, I can. It's almost like fact or fiction, right? Where like yeah. you reveal and give the piles and decide. So anyway, it's a green factor fiction. It's not the best card. I wouldn't recommend it for every single deck. But I found some really neat interactions with this particular spell. So I yeah, I don't think this is garbage. This is definitely not garbage. Um there's ways to make use of this card in a way that are going to be to your advantage. And I'm pretty, I'm here for it. I think it's actually pretty cool. I like the card. I'm going to give it a thumbs up because I think there's lots more application than people have given it credit for and uh, have just downplayed it because it's not how broken gifts Ungiven is, which is, yeah. you know, banned all over the place. We need to find a uh, card or two next week where we argue profusely. I think that would be, very beneficial for this podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe I think I think we 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 both tend to fa- see cards like this and see the upside to it, um, yeah. and then, um, but yes, there's definitely a, a room for more argument. I think more than anything, though, I think it's good for the audience to 
like explore some of these cards because I'm sure what happens is people looked at, at threats undetected and said, well, you know what, never mind. I'm, right. It's not it's not busted in half, so I'm not going to play it. That's not to say just because it's not busted in half, it can't have applicability. So um, yeah, definitely. To me, it, that what do we always say on this show, Bruce? What do we always say? Like any bad card can be a bomb in the right hands. Like oh, I was, I was going to say that Pete's our dirt bag, but that's that's, I mean, that's fair okay. too. And that's I mean, bad. I'm glad you know you didn't have to deal with me this weekend. But uh, if you want to oh. uh, explain what we're going to talk about, because this is based on your personal experience this past weekend playing with our two of our good friends uh, and your yeah. blood. So, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, um, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about some threat assessment because I, we were going to play with, uh, with, with Pete on Saturday night and then, uh, <laughs> life got real for Pete and Pete couldn't join us, but we went ahead and played. So, uh, my brother, George, who was previously been on the show, and uh, another another guest from the show previously, my uh, my good friend, and uh, the reason I'm addicted to this game, our our, our good friend of the podcast, Mason, was yes. uh, so, with us, graced our presence. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, we we, got, we we brought him out of retirement for the night, like Michael Jordan out. coming out again after retiring exactly. the second time. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, and so we sat down to play, and we ended up having to play a pot of three, which is not ideal, but better than not playing at all. And um, Mason, if you've heard Pete and I talk about Mason before, Mason is a terrific deck builder. Um, he is, has a very keen mind for building decks that do very scary things very, very fast and kicking your butt. So um, in the course of the evening, um, Mason now only has three decks um, that he has together and intact. He's others, he's sold apart parts or he's taken apart for this and that or that reason. So he's only got three decks. And so we played three games. The first game we played is Marinar deck, which is a mono black rats deck. The second game he played is a Felden deck. So mono red, absolute beat His deck, favorite right? deck. It is his favorite deck that he's ever constructed, I think, besides some of the budget CDH he used to play. But he loves that deck to death. Like he told me, he told me like he's never taking it apart, even if he never plays the game again. So... It's yeah. something that he really cares about. And then the last one was his... Uh, Torrance. Oh. Humans. Torrance, yeah. Tor yeah. Uh, Green-white green tokens, human-y nonsense. And so uh, I want to talk about specifically in the second game where Mason played uh, Felden because it really highlighted the importance of threat assessment on the battlefield um, to ensure that you give you an opportunity to play the game. So Felden, for those of you who are not familiar, I'm going to just read Felden for you, because Felden is actually um, surprisingly, lo looks like not particularly assuming commander, but is very, very potent in the right hands. So Amen. one red red for, yeah, <laughs> one red red for a 2-3 legendary creature human artificer. Two and a red, tap, create a token that's a copy of target, art, target creature card in your graveyard. Not artifact, creature. Except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. This is a really interesting card because, um, and I mean, it's not particularly popular. It's in the it's the 496th most popular commander in the format, which is like way down the list. And I, but in Mason's hands, this innocuous little card is an absolute menace. Yeah. And I, I remember having played against this deck years ago 
when Mason was playing quite avidly with us during the pandemic and just getting housed by it time and time again. <laughs> and so, yep. <laughs> so we, as we were playing on on Saturday night, he resolves a his uh, commander on turn two through it with the help of a of a lotus petal, and just and I'm looking at this. He's already put a couple of scary things in the graveyard because on turn one he had a faithless looting, mm-hmm. and so we really put my threat assessment skills to uh, to the test because I'm like. My brother's like, ah, oh, it's not such a big deal. I'm like, no, no, this is a huge deal. My spider sense was going off huge because I looked <laughs> at his graveyard, looked yeah. at his creature, and I'm like, if we let this guy untap with this, we are going to eat a bajillion damage. Sure. Now, one of the things that I think helped me in this situation was the fact that I could identify the line of play that Mason was looking to exploit, and George wasn't quite seeing it all the way through to its conclusion. I'm not saying that George didn't identify the threat because George could, like he knew that there's something that there was something powerful in his graveyard. I forgot yes. what it was first, but he put something pretty scary there. I'm sure. On. I'm just thinking of the options. Cause I've seen the deck so many times, like it's either meteor golem or it's um, the, the thing. When it dies, it leaves up behind an eight twelve with trample. It was a, uh, a hellkite tyrant. It was a, he had the Hellkite Tyrant. Right, like the, right. The, the yeah. one that if he makes the tokens, he burninates the table and Yeah. Yeah. Udvar so Hellkite. Was, the, yeah, there's there's a good amount of pieces I can think of that he yeah. would reanimate, right? So anyway. So, as so you I were. Was already, so I was already you were sweating profusely. This. Turn four. Already, you were sweating. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not even turn four. It's turn two. Turn two. I'm like, and and I'm like sitting there looking at this, I'm like, I am going to we are going to eat so much damage here in a hurry. Yeah. And yeah. I had I had an abraid in hand, and I thought I was thinking to myself, do I fire the abraid off, or do I save it for something else? And in the end, something said, no, you kill the kill the Felden right now. Do not give him another second to contemplate this. Kill that kill that Felden right this second. And sure enough, Mason's like, yeah, that's the right play. He's like, yeah, you took out my Felden. That's the right play. Good for you. I was like, oh, great. Um. And I think, you know, it looked weird. George was like, oh, that's really aggressive that you're using your removal like that, Bruce. And I'm like, well, if we don't, it's going to be a problem. And so I guess really what it came down to is that, like, at at his crux, George had identified the threat differently than I had. And so he was going to be prepared to give Mason a little bit more time to see what manifested with that threat where I knew that A, Mason was still on two land because he had used his Lotus Petal right away. And was it Lotus Petal? Is that the one? The uh, zero mana sacrifice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Felden, Felden yeah. costs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Well, so, okay, so your threat assessment, just to, just to boil it down, your threat yeah. assessment was like an eight or nine, and... George's was probably like a six. If we're looking yeah. at it numerically, like your uh, alarms are going off. His are not exactly on par yet. And um, was there any political sort of inclination here? Were you talking amongst each other or were you trying to persuade Mason not to beat the crap out of you personally? That's what I would have done. I would have been like, listen, buddy, I won't kill him right away, but just direct all your nonsense at, at George. You know what I mean? Like, so no, there was, there was 
so I'm going to be honest with you. That sort of political discourse is not my strongest asset. And so I, I could look at this and I'm like, mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen here. I cannot let this in good conscience happen. I need to, I need to remove this. And there was no real political debate. I'm like, no, this has to go. There's times when I'm prepared to like try and usually I end up resorting to the politics. If I don't have an answer, if I don't have a way to address a threat, I will often, then I will be prepared to turn to let's make a deal. But if I don't have, if there isn't a deal to be made, because like Mason had no reason to make a deal with me. Oh, definitely. Mason was like, Mason's like, I'm in the, if he can keep Felden, he's in the driver's seat. Because right. he's gonna he's gonna be making tokens of scary things in his yard, far rap more rapidly than I am. Uh, I'm gonna get my game plan in line. I need to, I need to make sure that Felden is so not coming down now. If we have like a survival guide for this particular situation, right? Like, say you're looking at your hand and you're like, you had you had a way to get removal to deal with the, th- the what you perceived was the threat at the time. Yes. If you're not in that situation, though. What do you do in that in that situation? Do you do you try to ask someone else? Can can you do this for me, and I can help you later in the game, or is it another situation where you have to be more uh, creative with your uh, mitigation of this sort of problem? Because I think that's what we're trying to get get to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's one thing to play removal in your deck. There's another to identify a problematic situation and use your sort of. Uh, skills your parents taught you your negotiation tactics mm-hmm. to uh help you survive <laughs> in that yes. sense so what so, i've often seen what i've often seen and i think is, is reasonably effective is turn to the rest of the table and say you need to and and it's that's where the politics starts to say look everybody this is what's going to happen if you do if we do not let this if we, if we let this felded resolve here next turn mason's going to res, going to untap and he's going to that that Hellkite's coming out, and we're going to start taking hurts, like not just a lot, a little. We're all going to take a lot, and we can mitigate this right this second if we address it right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, depending on the table and the people I'm playing with, some people like, get on board with this this line of argumentation and say, "Yep, okay, I'm in." And when that happens, like it's, I don't say I feel bad for a guy like Mason. Um, because he is well aware of what he's going to go do, but it's when you when your game plan gets derailed by the whole table very early in the game, it feels like someone's ganging up on you, and it's, right. it's not a particularly good feeling. So, but in this case, you know, turn to George and like, do you, like if I had said George, do you have a piece of removal here? George may have very well said no. Right. So, you know, in the at at, the, at his crux, I'm like, okay, we need to deal with this right now. Yeah, I think the dynamics of a three person pod also figure into this here, because in a three person pod, I don't feel quite so compelled to go and turn to the other person on a table of three people and say, "Hey, look, do you got something there?" Because we're not spread as widely across. Like if it's a four person pod, you really do have three full opponents you need need to contend with. In this juncture, it almost feels like it's one v ones, like me, me v Mason heads up, with George sort of waiting, lurking in the weeds. And while the use of the resource in this case is not great, I'm a little more apt to fire it off than than in a four person pod where I've got it's. It, there's no way this is me v Mason head heads up. This is like this is a. There's two other people 
lurking, waiting to take it to exploit a weakness here, and I just committed a key removal target, like and used it in on turn two. So yep. with the dynamics so, of the pod figure into it very prominently. Yeah. So so just to just to say like in general, because we're we're all we all have different scenarios that we've been in mm-hmm. uh, in terms of playing. There are times where I've literally told somebody, "I am the threat." You have to stop me, or I'm gonna just run away with this game. And I'm br- brutally yeah. honest because I want everybody to get a chance to play, and mm-hmm. it actually makes the game more interesting later on because they were. I'm like, you gotta remove this. If you can't remove this, then the game's gonna be over in two turns. Similar to the other game that you mentioned, which was with uh, George running away with it with his Planeswalker deck with uh, with yes. Nicol Bolas. So the idea is like. These are two uh, interesting situations where you have to make decisions. Like it's um it's negotiation tactics really. It's like the the good for the for the uh, overall majority to hurt mm-hmm. the minority to I- extend the game. Um, yeah. In terms of these general situations, though, because not you're not going to always have removal in your hand. You're also not going to be the one with all the cards, and you're also mm-hmm. not going to be the one who actually can do anything in this situation. You might be able to loot, or you might be able to draw cards, but there are just times where you just don't have the answer. Or the deck you're playing against is the antithesis of your deck. And it just happens that that that's the way it goes. So how do you impact the game in a meaningful way in this sense, or creatively remove uh, a problem um, in a game so that way you get to play the game a little bit longer than expected? I do this with deflection sometimes. You know, tactics like Hey, if you just leave me alone for a bit, I can potentially help out. Or, um, in the case of like, I'm gonna direct my, uh, you know, biggest threat at this person. If if I can't at least blow up their uh, key permanent, I'm going to figure out a way to do this. We talked about this before the show, but if you're facing a really aggressive deck, then getting blockers out as soon as possible and trading creatures that you normally wouldn't trade also is ideal. Um. Some other minor minor things that we've discussed, like if you have ways to gain life, you have ways to slow the table down overall, like a, like a rule of law effect. I've done that in launch a few times. Um, you know, just to slow everybody down so no one is really in the lead. You, you sort of stunt the person who's the fastest. Um, what else? I mean, we've talked about goad before. We've talked about uh, just general ways of speeding ourselves up as well. Did you yeah. were you able to do that? I mean, I know you said like at one point in one of the games you couldn't even cast your commander, but in the Felden game, um, where I think did you end up pulling ahead of that game? What was the game that that you had mentioned? So the uh, the in the game with Felden, um, I was on Megatron, so I was on Megatron. We had Felden and we had Torbrand. George was on Torbrand, and so this game was going to end in a very very <laughs> quick burning burning hurry. And because we're all three red decks, not a, not a stitch of blue at the table, right. and everybody's looking just to like just deal haymaker damage. Um, and in the end, I ended up pulling out the game. And I, I have no doubt the reason I was able to pull it out was in due to the fact that I properly identified the correct threat at the correct instance in time. Um, I did have to remove one of George's threats, um, so I can't. I chaos warped for something scary like early like later in the game. I had three pieces of, of pretty decent removal actually in that game. So it was the braid, the chaos warp, and then I had to wish claw talisman for a path to exile. 
so I had like three pretty good pieces of of uh, of, of removal in my in my hand or that I had drawn. So I was doing doing pretty well in that sense. And can so I uh, can to... I give you a weird example too, just of of yeah. a, a situation that that happened recently? Yeah. So this was Always. a uh, a Always. similar. In in the terms was I couldn't answer the threat, but I could slow the person down who was the threat at the time. Yes. And and I played a spell that ended up blowing. Uh, like two for one in him, right? Like killed two right. of his key cards. And then once the pressure was off of him, I said, listen, I, I had to do this to get, you know, t- to slow you down. But now he's the threat. I'm pretty much, I have only five mana. You guys have 15. How do we deal with him? I was putting pressure on his life total, vice versa. Right. And then eventually I was able to pull it out because I drew into some lands and some ramp. And they kept me alive because they were too busy fixated on them, both of each other, to mm-hmm. stop each other. Yeah. So, leverage leveraging that as well, leveraging the players you're playing with and the decks they play against. Be like, hey, Absolutely. I'm expecting them to play this spell next, or I'm expecting him to recur this permanent out of his graveyard. Um, yeah, I mean, even though asking questions like and answering questions, we talk about this a lot, right? You Absolutely. had to you had to answer you had to answer Mason, and then you had to answer George. And you were able to do it in an effective way, yeah, um, yeah. in a conventional way, in the sense, right? Yes, I it was able. It was quite a conventional approach to dealing with it um, in a in a game situation that I would say was unconventional because of the fact of amount of damage that was being flung around the board. Um, I think one piece with with threat assessment that I want to be careful that people are conscious about. And yes, the deflection and the strategic use of other resources, so blockers and life gain and fog effects or stack pieces or whatever else, to try and slow down the rate at which you're bleeding out so that you can have an opportunity to find the piece of of the answer you need in your deck is all fine and well. So long as everyone at the table is more or less on par with the decision that, like, this is a threat and and we're not and we're not trying to because if it deviates too much or right. you end up king or you end up king making somebody doesn't feel good then at all pe- people get really upset about the idea that you just basically allowed someone else to win the game out of nowhere case in point like if if we were playing a game where um i well, why don't you just take why don't you sorry why don't you just take the example of Nick and you and I and Dave playing because that was a really good example of that situation. You did, you kind of came make at the end. It was very close, but it ended up being that way because yeah, there was well, almost no so, choice, right? Right. So yeah. So we were you were you again. So let's re- quick re- rewind to uh, last week's show, and uh, and Pete was playing his Xenagos deck. And Xenagos had gone and delivered a pretty good, healthy chunk of damage to me. And I had a choice to make. I could either choose to swing my damage and spread it more equally across the board, or I could swing at Pete and knock Pete out. I even and asked you that question. I, do you remember? Yeah. Yes, I do. I even and asked I said you that. If, I, <laughs> if, if, if I don't take Pete out here, I have just made Pete not just like win the game, but like set him in a position where there's no, there's really very little in the way of stuff that's going to derail him here. So I had to knock Pete out. If I didn't, I was playing Kingmaker. Yeah. And so my choice was pretty clear to me in that instance, as much as it's unfun to knock your buddy out of the game. The reality is if I did, if I hadn't done, if I hadn't removed Pete from the game as the threat, 
then I was basically handing Pete the win on a platter saying, go ahead, smash us all. It's all, it's, it's all good and done. And in the end, I'm fairly like, I didn't, it didn't end up winning the particular game either. I, I ended up losing, Nick went, ended up winning the game, but the truth, the truth of the matter was if I, if I had elected to do something different than knock Pete out, the Dave and Nick would have good reason to be upset with me for failing to adequately address the threat at the table. And I think that is something where when you're talking this through as a table, as a group for, you need to be very clear, like, okay, I'm doing this because I think this person is the problem. And if the problem's, if the problem is me, because I'm, my name is T Swift and I'm cheering on the chiefs this week. Well, that's a whole other story, but if we're playing, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, 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 not, not, not to, not to cut you off, but um, I think there's definitely situations that we've come across in the last six months, but also in our own personal like time playing the game in the last seven, eight years or more, where I think people take it too personally when things get yeah. removed, right? And that's the other thing you got to think about it this way too. Like everyone's trying to play the game, right? Everyone's trying to do their thing. Sometimes people do their thing faster than other people and it scares them (laughs) and they have to respond. So Mm -hmm. the other flip side of this is, yes, you can politic all you want, but sometimes people will not listen to you or, you know, you have no chips to bargain with. What's the famous Star Wars line? I came to bargain. Um, Like, you know, so it's, this is a complicated, this is a human, this is a human social interaction. This is, this is a complicated yeah. error that you will not see in any other format per se, right? Because this Correct. is the uniqueness of this format. Because um, so. you're absolutely right, because everyone's different personality brought to the table is very, and when people are in sync and they get it and, they, and, and yeah. people understand why it's decision, the decision is being made, Threat assessment I, becomes I'm, a smooth topic. It becomes a exactly. smooth way for the game to flow naturally. But if you have an agent of chaos in your midst who does not see it the same way as you, then yeah. you are going to have one hell of a problem. I have met having an agent of chaos where, like, you go, okay, like, Pete's the problem right now. Pete's Pete's got this at the table. But he's got this. In, they don't care. And then and someone goes, I don't care, Bruce. I'm, punch, I'm punching you anyway. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. Cool. I guess, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. And that's the one that – that is the measure of a threat assessment. That leaves people infuriated. That leaves people frustrated. Leaves people yeah. confused about what they're doing. And like, and and there's really no. I can't. I don't have a good way to explain why it happens. But sometimes the agent of chaos looks at you and they go, "No, no, Pete's not the threat. I can deal with Pete. You're the threat, Bruce, because I can't deal with whatever you're doing." I'm like, "Uh, Fair enough. are we playing the are, are we playing the same game right now?" Well, like, it's like it's like a D and D campaign in the sense of you never know what what's going to happen when you when you roll the dice or when you draw your cards i mean i think uh it comes down to what experience we could we could list all these all these intangibles right experience uh deck style uh knowing the commander knowing what cards they might be playing but at the end of the day you'd really you really can't predict anything but 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 who can get mad at this face i mean right but but i think i think the best solution the best solution, yeah, the sure. best, the best consistency that you okay. can bring at the table, isn't necessarily having the target removal or pol- pol- politicking. It's the synergistic way your deck might be able to do a thing before you die. 
<laughs> and th- and I know that sounds yeah. a bit morbid, but it's worked for me, and it's been working for the friends that I played with. Where like they're like, well, I'm kind of out of this game, but I'm gonna try this weird interaction with these cards that I have, and see if it if it works. I think I used to check boxes, right? I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna take the initiative seven times this game because I'm playing against two blue players and I'm mono red and I don't have pyroblast in my deck, and there's no chance of me to actually win this game. So they let me take the initiative twenty times, and I counted it. I, I wrote it down on a sticky note every single time. I, I took a tally mark. It was a fun, weird objective for me to complete, even though I knew I wasn't gonna actually win the game, right? So you could be you like with your anyway, with your buds, right? Well, you could be with your buds. You'd be like. Hey, like I literally can't stop this. So if we can't stop this, this game's going to be over. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to do try to do this weird thing, or I'm going to do this meme thing that that might occur. Yeah. Like we have we have friends we played with over on Discord that do that. Where mm-hmm. they'll, they'll like like I played um like a, a a spell that gave me like 25 tokens, right? And I was ahead. And I remember this this one guy I was playing with. He goes, "I can't win the game, but I'm going to do this too." And he copied the spell to make 25 tokens. But he's like, you have too much board presence anyway, it doesn't matter. But he's like, I'm going to do it just because I can do it, not because, like, I'm not going to hold this yeah. card in my hand, you know? Right, right, yeah, yeah. So that, like, that, that's that's fun. That's, def- that's definitely, it creates those So, those so looking moments. at it a, a different way, right? Like, I had a friend who would, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to make, I'm just going to draw as many weird tokens as I can draw or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or whatever, I'm going to. I'm gonna talk a bunch of random permanents and see what people get to flip. You know, like yeah, no, uh, does, uh, does so taking so no, there's definitely something to be said for taking a route that's unconventional and seeing if it doesn't lead to an, an outcome that is different than than the anticipated outcome here of the guy leading the table, smashing everybody, winning the game. There's definitely mm-hmm. there's value to be had there for sure. I think there's also value demonstrating to the table. That you're trying your best to address the threat, even if it's you're you're unsuccessful. Yeah. So I'll use the example we had again this Saturday night. George in game one was playing Nicol Bolas and had established that he had a, a number of planeswalkers on the battlefield, including um, a Liliana uh, Majesty, Death Majesty from Amonkhet, very very powerful planeswalker, and was recurring value with it. And both Mason and I recognized that this is a problem. We had to try and knock Lily uh, down and off the table. And so we both took turns throwing all of our resources at George to try and remove Lily to quit the the cycle of value that he was able to accrue from bringing creatures back from the yard. Um, Now, we were successful in removing Lily. We got her to one loyalty that was as close as we got, but, you know, we both understood what was happening and the threat being what it was. And so like the threat assessment was correct. Our threat assessment was, and our, our response to it was also in keeping with what you would expect somebody to do. Um, and while we were unsuccessful in mitigate industry in dealing with the threat, the actions taken were internally consistent and ultimately led people to being able to understand that. Yes, everyone understands what's happening here. There was nobody got, Again, that human interaction piece. Nobody was was surprised or astonished or felt yeah. salty by the by the decisions made because it, and it wasn't just one person. Both Mason and I were throwing our resources at George's stuff, trying to see if we could knock it off. And in the end, we couldn't do it. And then the value train pulled sure. out of the station, like anything else. And 
and then choo choo yeah. it was like <laughs> it was a fast track fast track to pain town and so um to rein it in right to look at like a, a minor checklist okay this is situational based logic mm-hmm. obviously right? yes do you have removable in hand yes or no can you politic with the table yes or no yes or no can you find a way to speed up your deck somehow? Is it card advantage? Is it playing a stacks effect to slow everybody else down to your level? Is it you know something unconventional that you can do with your actual cards? And then finally, if you can't do any of that stuff, can you have a fun time regardless? Can you do something neat that people haven't seen? Can you try to copy Breach the Multiverse three times and see if that resolves for nine mana? And deck yourself and lose the game. Like I've done that uh, at least twice, and it's hilarious, and I think it's awesome. So, um, I think there's I think ways really, you I, can enjoy the game too, even if you can't really, win the game. I think it's a really succinct way of summing it up. Those yes no, that yes no dichotomy really helps uh, most players because there are many players who are inexperienced and may not necessarily understand what the threat of the table is and what what it ought to be. I. We can't tell you what each and every threat on the table is going to be from a podcast, folks. Like, I'm sorry, it's we're not, not at your ha- it- It's it's not happening. <laughs> we 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 can we can give you some some guidelines to help you when you do encounter a situation where and your spider sense is tingling, like, oh my goodness, something bad's going to happen here. What yeah. do you do about it? And that checklist is really good. So I think that's well, actually going to be that's going to be a little <laughs> that's something our main takeaway. Uh, right. We're gonna type it up here. Maybe we stick a PDF little, it. Uh, little, yeah, PDF little, it. Little, and we'll... little PDF that in the show notes so people will have great. that as a as a checklist. And uh, I'm sure there's gonna be someone out there that's gonna take umbrage with it, but that's okay. Our tools are the tool is there to help people think about this in a way that's gonna be like, you know what? Okay, I remember the guys talking about this on the show. Here's what I'm gonna do to try and get myself out of this jam. And you know, maybe you don't have the removal. Maybe the table won't politic. Maybe you can put some blockers down and play a stacks piece and and gum up and gum up the board and make it hard. Give yourself a fighting chance to get back in the game by deploying whatever you have at your disposal. So I want to really just end. But... I just want to end with don't ever quit prematurely. And we're going to talk about this in a future episode about like uh, etiquette in general. We we touched upon this in 2023. We're going to touch upon it again as we see more uh, of the power creep in the in the overall casual format um come to a fruition. You you're always in the game until you're not in, until you're physically removed from the game, right? I have friends who have quit prematurely um against me. I've told them, "Listen, you're not out of it yet." Just see what happens the next turn or two, right? I've had. Absolutely. I, I used to do this too when I was younger, in terms of my maturity level of this game, and I used to do it against Mason a lot. Actually, if we're thinking about this, I used to quit. <laughs> I'd be like, "I'm out. Like, I can't do this anymore." If you exhaust oh, every sure. option, if you exhaust every single option in your hand, everything that you could possibly do to further the game in some way, then then you deserve to say, "All right, I'm going to concede now." You know what I mean? So. I think I always tell my friends like it's respect. You're, you've earned people's respect when they target you. And mm-hmm. I, I said that recently, the last few weeks. I said if you're targeting me, that's a respect thing, right? Like you're respecting me. If you don't touch me the whole game and you and you still beat me, that means you didn't even care about what I, I was doing. Like I wasn't even uh, a thought in your mind throughout the game. So I'd rather be targeted, right? I'd rather be targeted. I'd also rather have a game plan if if that becomes an issue for me where I need to solve a problem. So Absolutely. we're all about being proactive on the show in general and being positive 
So um, I think we should definitely continue this, I think, in future episodes, Bruce, just to end it there. If we have good yeah. ideas like this, like our um, mulligan, uh, we should make a mulligan PDF, I think, for our uh, listeners, because it would be an excellent way as well to just share some information. Um, I am yeah, totally down for that. So people enjoyed that episode, by the way. So I figured, you know, oh, we can we give some more uh, basics. Again, we're not the end-all be-all. I'd rather you remember what we have to say um, and disagree with us than not remember us at all. So anyway, thank I'll you agree. for listening. And yeah, uh, this has been good. I think I think taking these practical real-world sort of examples um, and bringing them to the forefront in terms of general uh, gameplay, I think is a great way to look at it instead of it being a difficult uh, concept to understand, you know, like an abstract sort of thing. I'd rather not try to touch on that, right? But this sort of concrete evidence and examples, I think, provides an overall uh, sentiment for this sort of complicated issue. I agree wholeheartedly. I think the the real-life examples speak far more loudly than uh, us theory crafting in our heads so um we'll, i guess we're going to call it a quits there folks tonight uh because i think it was a, a good one uh nice and uh, nice and succinct um oh as always if you have other things you want to contribute to us in terms of threat assessment we're always ears you can reach out to us on social media all of their social media contacts are in our show notes by all means reach out to us on the twitter or the instagram or the threads or whatever you like to use We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas around threat assessment and uh, how you how you approach it. Uh, we will do we can do explore this topic more and unrelated topics here shortly in the next couple of weeks. Um, as I think there is like there like Pete said, etiquette is figures into this as well too. But uh, anyway, with that said, I'm going to wish you all a good night, having a lovely uh, a love a lovely time wherever you next play magic. And uh, for me and for Pete, thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have yourselves a good one. Peace, everyone. We'll see you uh, on the interwaves next week. And uh, be safe to your commute, to your jobs, and uh, take care. Thanks again. We out. Bye.